Welcome to the Columbia Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We're so excited to share this weekend's message with you from Dr. Jim Baucom, our senior pastor. We hope it encourages you, inspires you, and helps you grow in your faith as a whole life disciple. Now, enjoy the message. Hey, Columbia, would you help me welcome to the stage today my good friend and colleague in ministry, Robin Miner. Let's welcome her. And... Uh, Robin is my partner in crime today as we talk about show places. I'll have to say, Robin's a former newscaster, so she has more experience in front of the camera than I do, but not as much experience being in front of you live, and that's a different deal. So, you know, you could pray for her as we walk through this, but she's a great presenter, and this will be a lot of fun. Most of this is kind of going to be conversational today anyway, because uh, Robin has a story to tell. I do too, but she's got a great story to tell. I want you to hear a little of it. And it fits well within the context of what we're talking about today. Now, in case you haven't been with us, let me tell you that I'm doing something I've never done before. It's going to be entirely different for the whole summer, and that is to uh, share this platform with all of my pastoral colleagues. We'll be presenting in pairs throughout the summer on show places. In fact, though I'll be writing the eight pages of sermon-based notes, which I don't know how I got stuck with that for (laughs) each of these sermons, and though I will be facilitating and I'll be more nervous, trust me on this, sitting down here in one of the services, maybe going around greeting some children and youth other times, but I'll be more nervous than I am when I'm speaking because I'm never nervous when I'm speaking. Though that is the case, I will not present again until Labor Day weekend. So you get a break from me, which I think you're going to like. I I mean, everybody needs a break. Uh, once in a while. So other pairs will be coming. They're going to be using different methodologies, Uh, some of them acting, some of them I think I hear some like pyrotechnic type stuff in one sermon. It's going to be really fascinating, really interesting, and you're not going to want to miss it. So Robin and I are the first pair, and I guess, Robin, since we're first, you know, we either are going to set the bar or it's good we're first because others will be way better than we are. We don't have to equal up. So, you know, we're talking about show places. Now, a show place is a place of interest known for its beauty and excellence. I introduced this uh, last week. And uh, what we're talking about here is a show place being wherever God shows up, which is a theophany, theologically uh, speaking. And so uh, any place that God shows up surely should be known for excellence or beauty, even the wilderness, which is what Robin and I are talking about today. Now, let me tell you, I've known the story of the wilderness wandering for many, many years, and you have too. I mean, it's, it's kind of famous. I think it's, it's, it's one of the parts of the Old Testament we know best. It's, it's after the Passover and after the escape from Egypt, and, and, you know, God leads His children for whatever reason. The Bible says it's because they're not ready for the challenge of fighting the Philistines into the desert. And and I always had sort of mental images of this. And then on my last trip to the Holy Land, we took a side journey to Jordan. Now, the thing to see in Jordan is Petra. But Petra is a long drive from the border shared with Israel. And so you spend a day in the desert. And I mean, it it looks just like this picture. You're just literally driving on a road in the wilderness, in the desert, and you see absolutely nothing until you reach Amman. And so between the border of Israel and and Amman is just this vast open expanse, and it gave me an entirely new perspective on what it must have been like 
for the children of Israel to wander in the desert of the wilderness. As you're driving the road, you occasionally will see a Bedouin family tending uh, some sort of flock. Sometimes the flocks are in the middle of the road, by the way, and you have to stop to, to let them across. But there's, there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. I started to wonder, I wonder what happens if you break down out here. Because it's not like there is a, a gas station at the next exit because there's not a next exit. It's just road, long, long road through this wilderness. And Robin, as I was, as I was on this bus riding through this section, I just thought, wow, to spend 40 years mm-hmm. in this place would be absolutely incredible. It would be trying in every possible way. It would just be overwhelming to be in that space. But what we see in Scripture as we read especially the accounts of Exodus, you know, the story is told in four books. It's told in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But especially in the books of Exodus, as we read about this 40-year wilderness wandering, what we find out is that God shows up in the wilderness and that that's really the whole point. That the purpose of the wilderness wandering, a fourth of the time spent, or a tenth of the time rather, spent in slavery, is to prepare the people for a place of promise, for the promised land. And the purpose is that they become completely and fully dependent on God. Mm -hmm. And in fact, what we'll come to, and I think you'll agree with us when we get to the end, is that you have to move through desolate deserts to get to promised places. It's impossible to reach promised places without those challenges. So, Robin, let's set the stage for this. So, you know, you and I, we've never lived in the desert, at least I haven't. Uh, So, we're treating this uh, proverbially. It's uh, figurative for many of us, Mm -hmm. what it means to be in the desert. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, before we get to that, tell me what you know about this period of time for the children of Israel that we call the wilderness wandering. What was that 40 years? Yeah, I mean, if we back up a little bit, we remember that Joseph was Pharaoh's BFF, or as we talked about this, this morning. His brother, his, his adoptive brother. His yeah. adoptive brother, and he was really prized for his service uh, to Egypt at that time of the famine. He brought his family there. They became shepherds, and they multiplied, and they were really fruitful. And there came a point where they were so prolific that it was worried, and, and generations passed, and all these pharaohs came, and nobody remembered who Joseph was and, and his service, and... Uh, So they were worried that they were so prolific that if they got into some sort of war that uh, the the Israelites would turn on them. And so they moved them into servitude and they had to do harsh labor and uh, they were in building projects and everything else. And eventually they cried out to the Lord. And uh, this was all part of their wilderness. They cried out to the Lord and through Aaron and Moses, they became an instrument of their freedom. And uh, they started to leave towards the promised land. And if they would have gone uh, a certain way, it would have taken them just four days perhaps. But God knew that they weren't ready to come up against the Philistines and whoever else was out there that they would have to come up against, that their faith was not strong enough. Um, Physically, they were free, but their hearts and their minds were still captive uh, in Egypt. They were still in bondage. And so God prepared a way for them, parted the Red Sea. They walked through on dry land, and they ended up in the wilderness. And there they wandered for for a long time. Uh, we, I think we are. We going to show the scripture there. We will. Um, we will so, so this Ramses the second is the is the Pharaoh, and uh, and you know they're led away from him. Uh, actually, the scriptures say that they're led into the wilderness before they cross 
the Red right. Sea. So it's not on the other side. It's in, it's in the middle of that. And, um, and it's, it's an amazing thing because 400 years of slavery, and mm-hmm. you think you've got four days to walk to the promised land, mm-hmm. the land flowing with milk and honey. Mm-hmm. But no, God leads them in a circle through Sinai, through the wilderness, and through the desert, and, and he, he keeps them there for, for 40 years. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the ways that God shows up. I, I, I think um, we, you and I, have, there are probably 10 ways, but I, you and I have identified four reasons for theophany, four reasons that God clearly and distinctively and, and very obviously shows up for them. And we can't read this whole scripture, Robin. It's a lot of scripture. So we have to trust our brothers and sisters that they actually read the Bible uh, when they're not coming to worship. They can read the rest of this. So I've picked and chosen some scriptures here that, to illustrate. So, so here's the first one. So this is Exodus 13, 21 through 22. You want to read that one? Sure. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So what we find out is that God shows up in direction. And this is what's really uh, interesting about this, I think, is that, is that it is the pillar of, of, of the cloud by day and the fire by night. It shows up before they cross the Red Sea. So God is the one who leads them up against the obstacle of the Red Sea. God is the one who hardens the heart of Ramses II, the Pharaoh. God is the one who leads Ramses to change his mind and pursue them. God is the one who gets them trapped up against the Red Sea before they ever wander for 40 years. This happens in the first few days of this wilderness uh, wandering. So, you know, Robin, I think at this point, maybe it's helpful for us to talk about what it's like for us to be in the wilderness. Have, have we been there? And then, and then after that, to, to sort of say, this is how we've seen God show up in direction in those periods of time. So, you know, this is a proverbial question because I know the answer. You know, I've talked a lot, but hey, Robin. Hey, uh, Jim. Have you ever been in the wilderness? I have. <laughs> Actually, I am no stranger to the wilderness. Some would even say that I was probably just a daughter of the wilderness. Um, and I think when I think about the wilderness, I think of the uh, early childhood and young adult uh, complex trauma that I experienced um, growing up. It's been a huge wilderness experience for me. And at many points in my life, I kind of tried to forget about it, tried to move past it, tried to reframe it, uh, white knuckle my way through it, as you do. And um, I came to recognize that it was really impacting a lot of my life. It was impacting my decisions, communication with people, interactions with people. And it was a wilderness that I would have to traverse if I was going to come out whole and healthy and in the freedom that God has called me to. So you're, you're kind of, we can say you were born in the wilderness in a way. I mean, so many years of, of poverty, homelessness, uh, abuse, things that people should never have to experience at any point in their lives, much less early on. I think many of us uh, would be shocked uh, uh, and maybe more people will get a chance to hear even today, but more of your story because I think we'd be shocked to know uh, what you withstood for so many of your early years because of who God has made you to be and who you've uh, become. And so that, that has to mean that you can look back and you can say, God was there in the wilderness and God provided direction. So what, what did that look like? Yeah, um, for me, the direction I think about, you know, 
the story that I think about in the direction is that oftentimes when you are in these circumstances, you just feel really alone and unloved. And I'm sure the Israelites felt that same yeah, way. Yeah. Uh, but I think about, uh, you know, the times where this is, comes from just lacking resources, right? Uh, you know, food insecurity, not, lack of a safe place to live. But there was a one Christmas, and I think it's beautiful that it was Christmas time, that my dad opened the door of the place we lived and looked out on the porch, and there was a whole big bag on the porch. And of course, with the lack of resources, our expectation was no, no Christmas gifts for the year. Um, and so he brought the bag in and he started to unload uh, piece after piece, package after package, and, and they were presents that were wrapped up. And on the present, they said things like, girl, eight, Uno cards, girl, 10, Barbie, girl, six, uh, shoes. And I didn't know it at the time, but we were somebody's adopt-a-family project. And uh, it was a beautiful joyful experience that we would be able to have Christmas gifts that year. But I think more than that, for me, it was a vehicle, those toys were vehicles of hope mm -hmm. that were moving me in a certain direction. I know, I don't know what ended up, that, that Barbie ended up. I don't know where the Uno cards ended up. I have no idea where the shoes are. Probably in a landfill long gone. Um, but I do know that in my heart became a vision that maybe one day I could be well enough off to be the kind of person that would provide these kinds of things for other people, mm -hmm. that I could share the love and the hope of Jesus Christ through something through that. And so God really gave me the direction of that. And I know that in this life, we don't have this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire that we can see visually every day. But I think there are some proverbial ones mm -hmm. that become our pillar of fire. And those toys, I, I believe, were the uh, pillar of fire that led me to try to be mm -hmm. a person who knows. So it's like you're being drawn to something. You, you know, I wonder if we don't have uh, fire and cloud. I, I, honestly, I, I wonder if these people were placed in such a place of desperation that they were looking for signs we have all the time and we miss. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's not exactly cloud, maybe not exactly fire, but something almost that obvious that's right there in front of us, but until we're in a wilderness, uh, we, we can't see it. Mm -hmm. you know, so my experience is, is different than yours. I definitely was not born in the wilderness. I'm definitely not a child of, of the wilderness. Uh, my wilderness wanderings uh, came later in, in life. Mm -hmm. You know, some of them, Robin, were self-imposed yeah. uh, through my own stupidity and sin uh, and brokenness. Um, and and I, I can't blame God for those except to say that He brought me out of them and brought me through them anyway. Uh, but there have been things that have happened, and I, I can talk about two because they're, they're connected. Uh, for me, uh, health issues have been a big deal in, sure. in my family relative to my wildernesses. When my, when my daughter was nine, my youngest daughter, is, as many know, uh, she had a very rare cancer, and, uh, and her, her survival was certainly not uh, guaranteed, in fact, anything but. And it, it threw me into, I think it threw me into an early uh, midlife crisis, like mm. a tailspin um, that I couldn't get out of, and it lasted a year, almost exactly to the day, a, a year. And I, I just, I, I could continue to do what I was doing. I was pastor here. I didn't stop functioning, um, but I stopped finding any joy in functioning, and I was just exhausted all the time. And, and I wondered, where is, where is God? But God was there in one way through some people who uh, could speak into my life, a mentor 
who, who said this is a test of your faith and an opportunity for you to decide what do you really believe about life and death. Mm-hmm. It changed everything about the way I see eternity. Mm. And, and I, I think some of the sermons I preach, I could not preach without having walked through and come out of that wilderness. And one thing that happened at that time is that Debbie and I discovered uh, that together we could make it through almost anything. Mm. And, um, you know, I've always said, Jesus is my rock, but man, Debbie's a close second. She's a Gibraltar uh, for me. And, um, and I've always just said she's so solid, so uh, where I'm up and down, she's just so straight lined, so faithful. And so, so shocking to me, at 47 years old, uh, she was diagnosed with early onset Parkinson's. That's eight years ago now. And um, I knew what wilderness was awaiting me. I mean, I didn't even have to wonder. I, I knew it wasn't quite, though, the same. I, I knew that I could come out on the other side and uh, God sustained her. She's done amazingly well. She's so strong. But, you know, at the end of, of the day, that wandering was a, a little different. But nonetheless, it took some time for that to become the furniture of our lives. And what I, what I always learned is that, is that on the other side of the desolate desert, there always is a place of promise, but there are multiple places of promise. Even at the end of our lives, we will have heaven and a new heaven and a new earth. And we have to learn that not all promised places are in, are in this life. There's right. healing on, on earth and there's final healing in heaven. Mm-hmm. But, but despite that reality, we are called to love God in those places and we have to learn to be dependent on God in those places. And I'm going to tell you, God has proven himself worthy mm-hmm. of directing me when I can't find my own way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a pretty strong person, so I'm pretty self-sufficient sometimes. Right. And I think God needs to break us of that self-sufficiency to make us who he wants us to be. Absolutely. So we could go on and on, couldn't we, with this. But mm-hmm. God showed up for the Israelites in direction And he directed them until the moment he led them into the land flowing with milk and honey, into the promised land. And he directed them a circuitous path for his purposes, but they learned to be dependent on him and to follow him. But Robin, that's not the only way that God showed up. So I'll I'll read this one. Uh, Exodus chapter 16, 6 through 7a and 10 through 13. Uh, So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. I don't know about you guys, but I don't respond that well to grumbling. So they're (laughs) lucky that God did. And while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert And there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, which was the quail. And in the morning you'll be filled with bread, which was the manna, which you remember would only last one day. So you couldn't keep it. You You had to collect it every morning. So you'd be dependent on God every day. And then you'll know that I am the Lord your God. And that evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew or manna around uh, the camp. So Robin, uh, these aren't the only ways that God showed up in terms of of provision, right? So this is what we see. God shows up in provision. Mm -hmm. So at the very beginning of the story, they find a place that they call Marah, which means bitter, and the water's not potable. It's not drinkable. And so uh, God 
um, allows for Moses to throw a stick. I mean, this must have been pretty amazing. Into the water, the water becomes drinkable. It's not bitter anymore. And they can drink that. And you pointed me actually to Deuteronomy and to the section that says that God made sure that their sandals and their clothing didn't, didn't wear out. Right. Which is a good thing because uh, you can't have calluses on your feet and it ain't no fun wandering through the desert naked. I, I just got, <laughs> got to think that's true. So God allowed those things to happen. And there were other provisions as well that God kept making uh, for the people in the wilderness. And this, again... When times are good, Robin, don't we take for granted God's blessings? We do. And gratitude becomes a discipline of whole life discipleship. Mm -hmm. But when we're in the wilderness, God teaches us to be completely dependent on Him and to be desperate. And when we're desperate, we grumble, but we cry out to God. And we learn to depend on on His providence. Uh, So, Robin, in your life, Mm -hmm. in all of these wilderness wanderings, present and past, uh, how has God shown up in provision? Because you tell me he has. Absolutely. In many ways. And I would say for the most part, God has shown up through, through his people, uh, through people in general. And that's why I know as whole life disciples, that's why it's so important for us to, to show people love. But when I thought about provision, I thought of uh, a story that maybe some people can relate to. So we're, the way we grew up, we had head lice all the time. You don't have to raise your hand if you've had head lice, but I think at least most of us know that they're these little bugs. They're not quite microscopic. You can see them. And uh, when you have them and it's an infestation, they leave lots of eggs or what they call nits in your hair. And when you have it for extended periods of time, uh, it feels really shameful and it feels uh, really dirty. And not only that, but it's itchy. <laughs> and so it's really hard to, uh, to just, you know, uh, do the things all the day, and you're trying to hide it because you know that infestations of lice is, are really uh, hard to get rid of. And so, um, but you know, getting rid getting rid of lice takes a lot of resources, right? You have yeah. to have the time, you have to know how to do it, you have to have the shampoo, which is actually relatively expensive. It's very expensive to yeah. get the shampoo. And so, anyway, we were just never able to really get rid of it. Uh, and so there was one day, and I don't know, you, you teachers will have to let me know if you still do this. But there was a, you know, people kept getting lice. And I'm sure it was because of us. So uh, parents, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but anyway, um, we, they would take one of us at a time and do a, a lice check. And so if you had lice, then you would have to go home. If you didn't, you could go back to the classroom. Well, if you can imagine the humiliation and the shame that would happen, right? I mean, elementary school and middle schools is uh, hard enough kids find ways to make fun of you in whatever ways. But if you were the lice girl, then that would have been really humiliating to me. So I was um, really worried because I knew I had it. So, you know, came my time and the lady starts looking through my hair and I'm just hoping against hope that I don't have it. And she says, I don't notice any bugs, but I notice a lot of nits. You're going to have to go home. And I just felt in that moment like a caged animal, like I had no choice, like I was just, you know, that I was going to be in this humiliation moment. And the wilderness, as we've been through it, it gets so dark and you go through so much pain and you go through so much embarrassment and you go through so much that you just feel like it's going to be too heavy and you just won't be able to handle it anymore. So I turned to the, uh, to the, it was, um, a yard duty and I can still picture her now, blonde hair, blue eyes. She, I just begged her, 
I was like, please don't send me home. Please don't send me home. It's going to be so humiliating. I promise, I promise that I'll take care of it. I won't come back until I do. And um, I think she could see uh, the desperation in my, you know, whole demeanor and recognize that it wasn't my fault and I couldn't do much about it and my sincerity. And uh, God used her as his provision to let me go back into school and just to take some of that pressure off and some of that weight off. And so um, God often sent people in my life in periods of just real heaviness to, yeah. to help well, me through. I can't touch my, uh, that story. And, and I'll tell you that, uh, you know, you and I recently had a long drive together to attend the funeral of a friend together. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, as you told me your story, I, you said to me, hey, uh, everybody has something, right? Yeah. And, and I, I said, Robin, that's true, but I'm just going to tell you, not everybody has that. Uh, the mm-hmm. stuff you were telling me about is... Uh, we have people in our congregation who've never revealed these things or never talked to anyone. Maybe they'll talk to you. Mm-hmm. But I'll hear stories like these occasionally and say, don't discount the pain of that because, no, we don't all experience that kind of trauma uh, in our lives. We just don't. Uh, so I, I can't really touch that. I, my, my thing would be much simpler, which is to say that, you know, Debbie's been the one who all along the way has been convicted. We would not only tithe, but give away as much as 20% of our income a year. And, mm-hmm. and as we've done that, um, God has provided every step of the way. So there have been these times, and I've told them in sermons before, so I'm not going to take the time to go into detail, but where, where we gave and really almost didn't have, didn't have it to give, and supernaturally in unexplicable, inexplicable ways, um, God has provided for us and has shown up with provision and, that we couldn't miss. Yeah. And, and we've, we've always said, you know, um, God always takes care of us. He always mm-hmm. has. And, and uh, you know, in our case, we've just never been in that, that circumstance of desperation. Mm-hmm. So it, it felt desperate to us, though. Sure. And everybody's experience is filled with desperation. Uh, so God is a provider. So He's a guide. He's a provider. And I, I think we learn gratitude uh, it's not just a discipline. Sometimes God makes us desperate so that we will cry out to Him Absolutely. and, and we'll grumble. Now, Robin, I'll, I've learned to watch my life for grumbling. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so when, I, when I'm grumbling, uh, it is a sign that I'm not dependent on God. It's like a heart of anxiety yeah. rather than trust. Yeah. The grumbling in this story was was a sign and a symbol of the people's lack of dependence. That's right. This is the reason they were in the wilderness to begin with, is God had to teach them this dependence. Mm-hmm. So enough said. I'm positive these people out here never grumble. But uh, you and I do sometimes. And so I, I think we have to learn to trust God up front. And mm-hmm. that's just hard to do. It is. Because when you're out of the wilderness you tend to want to just forget about the wilderness, right? Right, right. But, it's, but you it's, can't. It's easy to praise God when he's parting the Red Sea. It's, it's hard to praise God when you're walking through the wilderness. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the people, in, you know, the people, they started longing for the flesh pots of slavery. That's right. The reason God led them into the wilderness and across the Red Sea is so they could not return to their places of injury, trauma, slavery, mm-hmm. uh, oppression. Mm-hmm. And isn't it, isn't it interesting that we're always tempted to go back to oppression because it's the devil we know. That's right. And, and, and so part of our trusting God's guidance and provision is that if we launch out, he knows where we're headed and he'll take care of us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just think that's an interesting piece of the story. Uh, so Exodus 19, 19 through 20 
uh, 1 through 3, and then 32, 7 through 9. Robin, how about giving that one a read? On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with the thick cloud over the mountains and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have become quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt." I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked. Man, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start using that term a little more often. But I better be careful because sometimes my neck gets uh, pretty stiff. Mm-hmm. So what we find is that God shows up in correction. Now, what I've done here is to distill this story because it, it's a lot of Scripture uh, mm-hmm. to read, and it would take up all of our time. Mm-hmm. But probably people know the story of how Moses went to the mountaintop to receive the Ten Commandments of all things. But God had already given them the commandment to build no idol, no human thing, to have no other God before them. And I think a lot of people think uh, when they hear this story, I've heard people say, well, what they were doing was worshiping something other than God. What's interesting is that Aaron had erected that golden calf to represent God. Right. It was about the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it was about the God who led them out of slavery. And God didn't want that because any human thing that stands between us and God keeps us from direct relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And that taught me you can have idols that that represent or you believe represent God, and they are still idols. And I think about the number of things in our lives that we say, well, God gave me that, or God did this, or God did that, and we, we don't recognize when we erect idols. Like even family can become an idol for us if we say, well, you know, we, we worship that instead of the one true living God and then love our family in the light of the one true living God. And so um, God is going to correct us whenever we become idolaters, which is probably in some way every single day. Right. And in this case, God, He threatened to destroy the people. I, I think as much as anything to turn Moses' heart towards the people, because Moses begs for the people to be spared. He begs for God to have pity on them, and He does. And then God, after Moses breaks the, the tablets of the commandments, God refashions them mm-hmm. and he takes them to him. But those, those commandments themselves are direction and they are provision, but they are correction That's in the right. way that we tend to live our lives. Mm-hmm. So the question is, if, if we're in the wilderness and mm-hmm. if one of the ways God clearly shows up in the wilderness right. is, is in correction, mm-hmm. has he shown up in, in our lives in that way? Uh, so, Robin, I'll, I'll ask you because your story, I think, is much more intriguing than mine, and, and uh, people haven't heard a lot of it. So, tell me about God's correction in your life. 
Well, I have set out to God's correction many times, um, hopefully like the rest of us. Um, but the Israelites, they struggled with self-reliance right. so much. Uh, they could do it on their own. And so it's like, well, Moses is gone. The presence of God is with him. And let's just take everything into our own hands. Um, and I think that the same has been true in my life. Um, when you deal with a lot of trauma and, you know, all the things that you mentioned, um, you become really good at coping mechanisms and, you know, uh, you know, you get all these survival techniques mm -hmm. and you get all these things that can take you really Crutches. far. Right. Yeah. And you can, you can live off them. And I'm not alone, right? Because uh, statistics say uh, more than, well, close to 50% of people have experienced some sort of adverse childhood experience. So I'm probably looking out at some folks who have been through some of the same things. And so we build these kind of survival techniques that take us really far and we white knuckle it quite a bit. Uh, but there came a time in my life where all the self-reliance, uh, just wasn't working anymore. And so my plan was, and you know what God does when you tell him your plan. Um, my plan was to go to a friend and to tell him, you know, my story and just wanted to hear the words like, you are strong, you are loved, uh, you, you can do it, it's going to be okay. And so I was going to kind of release some of that. And that's what I did. I went and talked to this friend and um, he was all of those things, kind, and told me all of the truths. Uh, but he did something that surprised me. He corrected me. And he said, I am not going to be your pressure release valve where you're just going to come to me every so often. You're going to need to talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. You're going to need to get a coach. You're going to need to get a therapist. You're going to need to get a counselor. You're going to need to get someone to talk to to work through some of this. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's what I did. And I realized that I was telling people about this God of freedom and provision and direction and correction and all of these things. But I was actually living as if I was still in Egypt. I was mm. actually living as if I was in bondage and mm -hmm. not the free person that God called me, me, me to be. And so I think there's some trials that you are in for a short term mm -hmm. and there's trials that you're in for a long time. And this is definitely gonna be an ongoing one for me that I'll continue to uh, work through. Uh, but I am thankful um, because we know that nothing in God's economy is wasted. Mm -hmm. And we can turn these experiences into ministry so that the wilderness has purpose. Yeah. So that the wilderness has purpose. And that's what I wanna do with Columbia and my life. And that's, I wanna be the kind of show place where people experience uh, that they're known and loved by God. Yeah, you know, honestly, Robin, I, I'm hoping that this sermon will open a door and that people who have experienced childhood drama, trauma will know you're a safe drama place. Drama too. Uh, drama and trauma. Yeah. Uh, a safe place to, to come and, and talk to you about these things because uh, I, I'm sure it won't surprise you, but in the life of Columbia, I've talked to hundreds of people who've yeah. experienced childhood trauma, mm -hmm. uh, sexual abuse, um, you know, all, all sorts of trauma, and they think they're alone. Every last one of them thinks they're the only one. And, and I'll say to them, you don't realize that every Sunday you're sitting around people who've experienced, I can't tell, of course, unless somebody gives me freedom or permission. Right. I can't say, go talk to this person or that person. And often they do not give me freedom and permission. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're, you're giving freedom here. Mm -hmm. And that's a very powerful uh, thing, I believe. In fact, to tell your story, I think is very courageous uh, for, for me. Thank you. And it, it makes a difference in my life. It, it, it's drawn, uh, it, you, you've, you've really ministered to me by telling me your story over the last uh, months and years. 
And it, it's, it's just a, a powerful, powerful uh, thing. But, you know, what I find is, especially for women, when I deal with uh, women who've gone through childhood trauma and especially some sort of abuse, which you've experienced, when, when I deal with that, as they, if they have children, mm-hmm. as their children reach the ages that they experience those various things, mm. they have submerged things very deeply, mm. and those things start to come out mm-hmm. because, because they see their children at the same age, and they mm. start to identify with the child they've left behind. Because mm. you, you never completely walk out of the desert, do you, in that sense? You, you always carry, we'll talk about that in a minute, but, you know, for, for me, that correction has more often come when I self-imposed my wildernesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I put myself by my own stupidity and my own sin into places uh, that God did not desire me to be. And it took colleagues and friends, uh, sometimes my wife, but, but very often colleagues and friends right. and mentors to say to me, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not God's will for your life. I think we can both see that. But in those in things that I couldn't control uh, that he imposed, it took like those mentors who would say to me, what do you really believe and, and what hope do you really have in, in God? How do we learn faith unless we are dependent on, on Him? Right. Uh, so again, I think your story is much more intriguing than mine, and, and most people have heard a lot of my story, so I want to make sure you have time to tell it. But God, I don't, we, won't, we don't want this piece to be true. So we, we hear guide and we go, yes! And we hear provision and we go, yes, yes, yes! And we hear corrector and we go, what? <laughs> but often the whole purpose of the wilderness right. is that we, we course correct. Mm-hmm. It, we're not ready to enter the promised land. And so God, really, this is his love for us, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, to correct us. And we have to learn to see God's discipline and correction as, as a sign of his love for us. Because otherwise he'd just ignore us and say, I really don't care what happens to you. I'm going to give you correction. Okay, so Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 8a. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a place of spacious land. What does it say? A land what? Flowing with milk and honey. A land what? All right, look, so here's the deal. We're not ancients, and uh, so you get to replace milk and honey with whatever, you know, would make this special to you. So what would that be for you, Robin? I mean, is it a land of Hershey bars, and what does that look like? Yes, okay. <laughs> all the chocolate. So a, a land of chocolate and coffee. Does <laughs> that work? Does that work better yes. for most of yes, you? Absolutely. Uh, whatever the case may be, these were the best, these were the luxury items that had been denied them in slavery. Right. So they, they didn't have milk and they sure didn't have honey. Right. And so God promises them a land of milk and honey. And this they always had to look forward to. Now look, mm-hmm. it was a long time. I mean, 40 years is a long time to anticipate, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. It's a long time. But God shows up in expectation. He always gives us hope. We just have to look for it. He always points to a place of promise that is beyond the edge of the wilderness. So out of the desolate desert, we learn to look to God for hope, even at the end of our lives. And we understand that when we draw our last breaths and that may or may not be a, a, a very pleasurable moment. I mean, I always pray, you know, I'd like to die in my sleep. I really would. Right. But it might not happen that way. I could be in pain. I could be suffering. There could be a lot going on. And yet, 
I have to have the faith to know that on the other side of the grave is life, continued eternal life with God. There's heaven and a new heaven eventually and a new earth. And, and I've got to trust that God is always showing me hope and expectation. Absolutely. I had a hard time learning to do that. I, I mean, especially in that one season I told you about that midlife crisis piece that year. I, Robin, I just thought I'd never make it out. Mm-hmm. I started to wonder if this was my new normal. Mm-hmm. And in some ways it was. But, but God showed me hope that there was a place I'd never been before. Mm-hmm. There was something greater and better on the other side than anything I'd ever seen in my whole life before. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn to trust God's, God's promise. Mm-hmm. In many ways, I felt that way during COVID, leading a church. I, God, please don't make me do that again. It was so, so hard for me. But I had to trust that God had a purpose and he was going to use it for something. And I think all of Western civilization is wandering in a wilderness right now. And, and when I hear people talk around us, they're hopeless. They're like, well, we're just, you know, we're just watching the destruction of the whole thing. Mm. Maybe, but maybe we're watching the recreation of the whole thing. And maybe if we trust God and be hopeful, he will pull us to something we've never seen before, something greater. And unless we trust that, we won't do the right things in this wilderness that would get us to the promised land. So in your life, Robin, how has God shown up in expectation? Well, I think as Christians, we uh, get the privilege of knowing what our purpose is. Uh, we, you know, I think that people who don't have the faith that we do, they don't know what they're, they're here for. And so I think we are the kind of people who should have the most hope than anybody else. But I will say that um, God has uh, provided... I mean, I, I didn't know what was out there in life, what you could accomplish. I, these, I didn't have these models that were things to attain you and to grow up to. didn't even know what to. to dream. That's right. And so God uh, slowly led me to different, uh, different, you know, degrees and different, um, you know, I don't know what the words the military are. Military played a big role? I was in the military. I learned, you know, a lot of different things from there. And it was like God provided slowly opportunities for me little by little. And just even models around here have shown me what life can be like and what I can grow into. And, and just realizing that God had a bigger call for me even than I ever knew. And, um, you know, just looking back on that skinny little girl uh, with no agency and not a lot of hope and um, just not a lot of expectation for herself could come and uh, accomplish the things that I've been able to accomplish by the grace of God and be hanging out with uh, just the coolest people in the world here at Columbia. The cool kids, as you say. That's right. That's right. I always don't think I'm probably in that group. You totally are. But, you know, you told me a story, in fact, of one night when you were sleeping in a car with your family and you looked out and looked at the stars mm-hmm. and God spoke to you and said, I've got something greater for you. That's so powerful. When you told me, it made me cry. Mm-hmm. I, I, just, I just think that God always gives us hope if, mm-hmm. we'll, if we'll look for it. Yes. All right. So Hold we're, on to that. We're, we're, we're totally out of time. So, okay. But we got to get here. We got to mm-hmm. get here. First mm-hmm. of all, you need to understand this. Biblically, if we believe the the model of the Bible is true, and I do. It's God's Word for us in every season. We must pass through desolate deserts to get to promised places. It is not possible for us to fully know God unless we are dependent. And for that reason, it is impossible for us to never enter a wilderness. That's right. And we will all, they will look different. They'll be caused by different things. Mm-hmm. Some will be born into them, and some will, will stupid their way into them or whatever right. the case. But mm-hmm. 
but we must walk through desolate places to get to promised places. Mm -hmm. And we have to recognize that is part of God's plan. It's part of His guidance. It's part of the way He leads us. It's part of our discipleship journey. Absolutely. So one final piece, Robin, and this didn't occur to me until after you and I were writing this sermon together. But in Exodus 3, 1 through 4, the very beginning of the story, we find now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. He was a priest in Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. Some translations say the backside of the mountain. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God, the wilderness. Yeah. Okay? And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw through the uh, that though the bush was, no, uh, was on fire, it did mm-hmm. not burn up. And so Moses thought, I'll go over there and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here am I. Now, uh, it occurred to me that the reason Moses was equipped to lead people to find God in the wilderness is because he's already been there. Mm-hmm. And that that was by God's design. So you remember he saw a Hebrew slave being beaten by an Egyptian master, and he killed that Egyptian master. And his, he was the brother of the, the Pharaoh in a position of high power. He had to flee Egypt for his life, leave all the privilege and the power behind, and he, and he winds up where? In the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Moses is in a wilderness. I mean, if you lose all that, man, you are in a wilderness. But could God have heard... Could Moses have heard God from his throne in Egypt? No. He had to be by himself in a desolate desert to see that bush burning and not consumed and hear God. And so God, I believe, led him by his heritage into the wilderness to begin with. He, he, He has him marry the daughter of a priest. And that priest mentors him and teaches him to live in the desert. And while Moses never says this, when he's leading the people through the desert, through the wilderness, he's been there before Mm -hmm. and he knows how to teach them to find God. Mm -hmm. It's not a burning bush this time. It's pillar and cloud, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But he knows how to teach them to find God. Mm -hmm. This is how God uses our wilderness experiences. Yes. So you are a guide, Robin. Yes. (laughs) You are a guide. Yeah, I will say that working through this trauma has been the most um, excruciatingly beautiful process of my life. Excruciatingly beautiful. Yes. I think easy wins are great, but I think it's the hard-won victories that really set us up for transformation, and I think that's what God does. So this is the way you and I learned to say it together. We decided, we made this up, Robin and I, once you've been in the desert, you always have sand in your shoes. That good? I mean, you know how you go to the beach, Laura Gravit? You know how you go to the beach and when you come home, you wear that same pair of shoes, there's sand in there, and uh, it feels uncomfortable, uh, but you go, man, that time at the beach was cool. Anyway, it reminds you of something. Once you've been through the desert, through the wilderness, all of you have, whether you recognize it or not, some of you are there right now. You always have sand in your shoes, and therefore you know how to teach others and to walk with others and to guide others to find God in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm just telling you, Robin, you have a unique, God has given you a unique platform because of hard experiences to do that, and, and me too, yes. in a different way. You know, where God is, that's where we want to be. That's right. Even when God is in the wilderness. If that's where God is right now in my life, then that's where I need to be. 
And learning that is just so, so hard. But if you want to know God, there actually is beauty in the wilderness. What did you call it? Excruciatingly beautiful. That's right. That's an amazing expression. (laughs) Now, Robin and I wish for you some excruciating beauty. (laughs) The beauty part can't happen without the struggle part, and all of us will find ourselves in wildernesses that God will use for our betterment and for His glory because, Robin, He will show up. He'll show up as a guide. He'll show up as a provider. He'll show up as a, as a disciplinarian or a corrector. And, and He will show up as our hope, as, as our expectation. And then He will ask us to show up. That's right. In the lives of others. Right. To help them through the wildernesses of their life. Don't let that wilderness be wasted. Let's use it as a ministry. Never waste a wilderness. That's, That's right. good. I like that. We made that up right here. Okay, let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would guide our brothers and sisters through wildernesses in their lives just as you've guided us, and that you would use all of us to help even those who don't know you to find you, maybe especially those who don't know you, to find you in the wilderness of their lives. And in our case, that means finding you through the death and resurrection of Jesus, Mm -hmm. through Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior, and in whose name Robin and I pray together. Yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. Hey, friends. Even the wilderness can be a show place. Remember, God is always showing up in your life. And Robin, say it with me. You You go go and ignite passion for for Jesus Christ Christ from from Metro Metro Washington Washington to the world. world. Have a blessed week. We'll see you soon. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Metro D.C. or Northern Virginia area, we would love to worship with you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about all the incredible things happening at Columbia, go to columbiabaptist.org. That's columbiabaptist.org.